0: Stepping back and stroking to Bogdanovic, thinking about a three, there it is, yes! See it again. No double team help, it. Be really takes it right to the rack. Welcome back to the Feed to Embiid, everyone. It is Monday evening, but you'll probably be hearing this on Tuesday. Uh, after a couple of years of the, me referring to players by the wrong names, forgetting my questions in press conferences, or delivering ludicrous food-related takes in the media room, I have evidently been stuffed in a, into enough proverbial lockers uh, by the more veteran members of the Sixers' beat, and I've earned my stripes to the point where I can get the great Derek Bodner of PHLY Sports. On the pod Uh, It was a great day for PHLY Because they had Devon Givens on for the first time It's a great day for this pod too Because we get one of the Mount Rushmore faces Of the Sixers media contingent Derek, how are you this evening?
1: Doing well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that Because I was thinking about this the other day Do do you remember the first time we met? I remember the first time I met you You left an impression So it was on the the day of the press conference Of the Josh Richardson-Jimmy Butler trade and I remember you sitting in the Sixers practice facility in Camden, in the media room, and you, and you started going, you you're talking to somebody, I forget who you're talking to, you were talking about stats about Josh Richardson and why he wasn't that big of a downgrade as a shooter from J.J. Redick. And you were like, <laughs> first of all, that was preposterous. It was absolutely and utterly preposterous. I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? And then to top it off, and and by the way, I think history has proven that was preposterous. And I actually went back and I tried to find this interaction because I responded to it on Twitter, but you deleted the tweet like the coward that you are. (laughs) But but the kicker to me afterwards was you went, this tweet's going to do numbers. And I'm like, oh my God. First of all, who is this fucking dipshit from the painted lines? Now he's sitting here with a preposterous take and he's he's talking about how it's going to do numbers. He's tweeting for all the wrong reasons get this guy out of my fucking way and i say that you know what why do i bring that up it's not just the shit on austin although that is a big part of our relationship i don't want to misconstrue anyone but it's also to say like you had a, a bad first impression you had quite a ways to climb but over the years i've been impressed by how hard you work and how seriously you take it and the strides that you have made into becoming one of the more respected analysts covering the team so i give you a lot of credit for that i appreciate you austin i think you've done a good job here over the years and i'm happy uh to come on even if like i said it you had you had a lot of room to a lot of ground to cover up uh, but i think you've done so and
0: then so thank you derek i appreciate that i should call you Anthony. is what i should <laughs> do <laughs>
1: that was what that was daniel
0: Did You call the first night of the, of the sixers season 2022 and i'm calling him d'anthony <laughs> Wasn't the oh, best
1: moment. Even, also, if we're being honest, it wasn't your worst moment either. So you know, no,
0: no, that was just great. <laughs> well, I appreciate the comment very much. Uh, it was very had to learn a lot of things the hard way. Uh, so it was, you know, couple couple mistakes here and there. Learning that Twitter is not the place for stupid takes like that. And it was,
1: yeah, you really tried to make the argument that the Sixers' spacing wasn't going to be compromised by going from. Jimmy and and JJ to Josh <laughs> Richardson and boy was that off the mark.
0: It's, I'm like I'm laughing because I'm embarrassed by it. Like it's so true. No, like I, I, I
1: honestly I bring that up to say because like I said, I think my initial inclination was to to cast you off. Um, but I I, I truly do mean it. I think you've um put the work in to become one of the better, more respected analysts, and I uh you know I, I give you a lot of
0: credit for that i really do i appreciate that very much Derek. coming from you uh, of all people uh, honest i'm not being being honest that's very uh, kind wording uh from you now and here's what i'll say like obviously
1: like i said part of our relationship is that kyle and i pick on you a lot It just kind of happens and what i'll say about that is i only pick on people that i respect and i pick on nobody in the world more than you possibly it might might honestly literally be true now don't don't misconstrue that. That's not me saying like, I respect you more than anyone in the world. Part of it is that you're kind of like an easy target. But what I am saying is that I wouldn't pick on you if I didn't also respect. You.
0: I view myself as the little brother of the Sixers beat kind of like the, like you like the, the guy who you like, you have to pick on him because he's the young guy. Right. But also like, you don't just like not talk to him at all. Cause he's kind of intelligent in some ways. Um, but I appreciate that.
1: Well, though. as we learned from James Harden, if you have to point out that
0: you're intelligent, <laughs> <laughs> I should, I need my own next contract. <laughs> uh, that was quite an article that I don't think I, we don't have to touch on that here. Cause you've covered that enough today for sure. Um, but you know, as I watched Tyrese over these first 20 or so games of the season and I see all the improvements in his game and I've even like written columns saying that like, he's made his leap is beyond the boundaries of what we could have expected. There are still a lot of moments where I look at this, young guard the six to a point guard who is being shoved into that role for the first time in his career and i still think to myself is this guy really number two in the pecking order on a championship team type material um i know i, I think i kind of know where you stand on that but if you if you know what what makes you think the way that you think about him i guess I think there's a couple ways to look at it. There's probably, like,
1: is what he's doing right now in the most literal sense sustainable? And probably probably not, because I think there's some shooting variants in there. Like, he's right now shooting, I think, 45% in minutes, 45% from three in minutes without Embiid. On the volume he's on, that's probably not going to sustain itself. That would be almost impossibly difficult to do when he has the kind of attention he's receiving. So, no, the the literal, like, if he continues to take the exact same shots, there's probably a regression coming. But I do think there's plenty of room for him to grow uh, as a distributor, as a you know foul drawing. Foul drawing, especially, I feel like, is the one area he hasn't really made substantial improvements on. Uh, I think there are other ways that he can grow to offset. what's probably going to be a little bit of a shooting um, variance, shooting luck coming back to hit him a little bit. So I, I think there's probably a little bit of, you know, small sample size. I don't call it luck, but just the kind of thing that happened throughout the course of a season. But I also think he can definitely continue to get better and better. And I don't think we're anywhere near the best version. Like, I, I think there'll be seasons where he averages these numbers or better in the future. Um, but I think there's, like I said, short term, there could be a little bit of regression, but I say that even saying like, I, I don't think it would be significant. I think this is mostly who he is and it might be like a, a shade less efficient. Uh, maybe a few more turnovers, although he would never really commit some, maybe, um, you know, maybe the assist numbers drop a little bit, but I think more or less, if this isn't who he is right now, then it's very, very close. And I think who he will be in the future is going to be better. It is, honestly, you brought it up well beyond what we could have reasonably expected. And I feel like he's done that now three years in a row. But I think he is certainly in the conversation of being a viable top perimeter option right now. And I did not believe that coming in. I did not think he had the passing chops and the court vision to be able to sustain it like that. Um, and I think he has just formed such an incredible two man game with Embiid that I, I now certainly think it's in within the realm of possibility and whether or not it is, we have another couple of months before we have to, well, not we, Daryl has to decide whether they need more help in that regard. Um, but I'm way more confident now than I was to start the season. So I think, I think it's plausible that he, I, yeah, I think for the most part, like I said, there might be a slight decrease in efficiency or something, but I think for the most part, this is who he is now. Yeah.
0: When I look at Tyrese, I kind of, I I view a lot of the the same things that you do there with the the efficiency and whatnot. And I I think the key can get a little bit more efficient. I I do think a regression will come because his usage is the highest of his career. He's playing more minutes than he ever has before. He's running a million miles per game. He's going to get tired at some point, whether those legs just kind of tire out on him later in the season. And that shot gets a little bit shorter. I think you're right. It will come but i also think that there's also probably do a little bit of a you know a regression back to where he is right now because i appreciate you nobody ever uses
1: regression back to the mean correctly uh, they always think it's like progression back to the mean or something no, like they think back regression back is going backwards that's not so i appreciate that as and, and, one
0: data dork to another i appreciate it, that there you go <laughs> you can regress back to the mean in a positive way too yes what do you know that um cuz right now he's like taking a lot of floaters and i think the floaters are okay in a smaller sub- substance of 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 his shot volume but there are games where he will lean on them too much we see that with mm-hmm. the game where he plays in minnesota and he's trying to just he's ch- chucking the ball at the backboard for all intents and purposes cuz he's tired he's trying to get something going and they just don't he doesn't have the touch on that On the other hand, there are games like the Boston game where they win the game in Philly because he just takes Eric White and a bunch of other Celtics to the woodshed with floater after floater after floater in the fourth quarter. So I think that there will be some ups and downs on unevenness to to his play throughout the rest of the season, throughout the rest of his career as he juggles this new role. But I think like for the most part, his shot diet is where you want it. Long twos are the lowest of his career. Three-point volume is the highest. He's getting to the rim uh, you know a little less because he's take. I think once he cuts the floaters out a little bit, and you know ups the three point volume to where it's just basically threes or getting to the rim. It's probably where you want him. Um, like I said, I think you know fatigue will be a factor. But you know as I looked up all of his stats, the rebounding rates, the you know the, the 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 foul drawing, which is still for his this for this season, this is a career high in foul drawing across the board pretty much for him. Except it doesn't really matter when you're so below the average that right. it's like. It's like, what What does this really materially mean to us? It means nothing because he's not getting. He's still not getting to the free throw line enough. I would argue there is some level of he hasn't gotten the star whistle that I think he's trending towards rightfully deserving. There are times where I think he gets bumped and he just doesn't get the call. But there are also times where he gives up on the shot mid shot because he gets fouled thinking he's going to get the foul. And they don't give it to him and then it's like flailing and i'm mad because i didn't get the i didn't get the call which is something that every player in this league does to an extent but i think there are t- there are times where he kind of leaves himself a little bit short because he's trying to exact sell sell the contact. um you know the the playmaking is the thing that has me the most unsure with him uh he 47 of his 120 assists on this season are to Joel, and that's great like he's gonna have to be like they have the great type chemistry it's fantastic and it's what you need them to work together but i also feel like i'm not seeing him leveraging the second side of the floor or leveraging joel or his own skills enough to then make things happen on the second side of the floor your column last week where you you kind of pointed to his playmaking one of the the videos on that you showed on, on from your YouTube channel was Joel getting a post up on a switch against Boston. Derek, I think it was uh, Derek white took Joel in the post holiday switched on to, uh Tyrese. And then Boston did not like that mismatch. So they help, they shade a little bit off of Tobias that leaves him open for a three and Tyrese finds him. That's the exact site. That's the exact type of thing on the second side of the floor that I think separates where Tyrese is now to where he can be at his peak as a facilitator is, okay, we've created these advantages here. And as a result down the line, there's an advantage elsewhere that I can really take, that I could really use at my disposal. And I I don't think the, the passing is fake by any stretch of the imagination with him right now. I just think I'm just wondering as he gets going more and more here and Joel is, you know, maybe Joel isn't available or maybe they are playing Joel differently like Boston would in a playoff series. Does that affect the way that he sees the floor and looks around at his teammates?
1: That was a lot of talking as somebody who feels like I talk way too much. <laughs> that was a lot of talking. Um, no, look, I don't think that Tyrese is a top playmaker in the league or anything like that. I don't think he's a top 10. I don't think he's a top 20 passer in the league. You know, I think so far throughout the course of the season, they've been able to overcome that because I do think he's learning how to play off of Joel meet a little bit better. Um, We've mentioned so much about empty side pick and rolls and how how it's tough to send help to that. Uh, and I think their skill sets mesh in well. I do think he is doing better at learning what reads he has coming out of that pick and roll or, or that DHO, which is largely the same reads, and knowing where the help could come from and anticipating it. And anticipation is not like having elite vision, but I think it's step one towards him becoming a point guard. Uh, and I think we've seen growth in that, you know, game over game over game to the point where when those two are on the floor, I feel like the offense is pretty functional and is that enough to win a title it, i don't know it's tough um, like i do think this is one area where tyrese at 23 and tyrese at 27 might be very different players and you know learning how to play off of your best teammate and the mvp of the league is important but you are going to have to make further reads beyond that and i agree with you i'm not overly impressed with um, like i said i don't think he's a top 20 player in the league i just think he's he's slowly learning how to leverage his skill set and joel's skill set to get them in a pretty good looks um but there's certainly still growth that has to happen uh there is times when he's going to be defended well or they're going to throw a new scheme at him and he just hasn't been doing this very long like he is 17 games or whatever into being a primary focal point um and i think passing and playmaking specifically is one of the tougher things to pick up quickly um but i'm not i'm certainly not discouraged and i'm not going to call it fake uh, but I do think it's probably more along the lines of learning how to play alongside of Joel and, and use his strengths more so than like a huge growth in passing. Like when you're Tyrese and you're that fast and that capable of a shooter coming off the screen with the league MVP, you're going to have options. I do think he's doing a better job of making use of those options this year than he had in prior
0: ones. I, I was going through this last week. Uh, Cause I was just curious as to where, where my own thoughts changed over the course of last season to this season. Now, and I was thinking, you know, where does he rank amongst the top players in the Eastern Conference? And I think right now I would say he's probably a top eight player in the East. Eight to you know, in that range. I I I was questioning myself with this, but I still put uh Scotty Barnes in front of him very slightly. And I also put Mikhail Bridges in front of him. Um, just because of the length of of the defensive versatility my, my and then i kind of compared that to where i would put him against the west in in the entire league therefore and he was much different in the west like there were there were multiple players per team that were I, that i thought you could make the case quite easily were better than than tyrese but you and i had this conversation at a practice last season um hmm. would you trade Uh-oh. i
1: dropped a a, a practice uh anecdote to start this on you and now you're trying to swing it (laughs) back at me i got you
0: i got you uh but i thought about this a lot last night and today as i was coming up with the with the the show here and you at the time i i didn't even have to finish the question before you said yes you were unequivocally yes i would trade tyrese for mikhail bridges right now
1: i'm sorry but the press room there's a sanctity of the press
0: room here austin and you're breaking (laughs) protocol but go ahead i will allow it i will allow it um and at the time, you 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 were a hundred percent, like absolutely, I, you love Mikhail's game. And granted, I do too. And as I was thinking about this recently, I I think I I, I think I prefer Mikhail's versatility on defense and his ability to shoot above other def, uh, defensive players in a way that Tyrese cannot. But I also am not. That does not mean that I'm I'm you know swayed away from the fact that Tyrese can do so much more with the ball and has a shooting gravity that I'm not sure McHale does. Do you, where do you fall on that, on, on that question now after, you know, you, we've seen Tyrese as the lead, the lead ball handler on this team.
1: Hmm. It's a good question. Cause they're completely different types of players. And I do think probably at that time, I was skeptical of whether or not he could become a true lead guard on a team because I didn't believe in the playmaking. And I thought that was one that is so rarely uh something that you improve significantly. And I think there's two ultimate like players you can never get enough of. And that's one an offensive player who can force rotations uh and, and create out of that, and a, a big wing who can play both sides of the ball um, and be a, a plus contributor on both ends. So these are the two kind of archetypes that are um, really tough to get. And I, I think you prioritize that. I think Tyrese is making a taken a big enough jump in his playmaking and it just, his scoring is so absurd and the shooting is such an absurd outlier skill. And I have enough confidence in the passing, at least getting better and continuing to get better that I would have a tough time making that trade now. And I love Mikhail. Um, Like I said, I think the two way wing and, and by two way, I like, I feel like a lot of times we talk about two way and it's like, you know, the de- defense is okay. And the shooting is maybe okay. Very, you don't really yeah. buy it all the time. No, with Mikhail, it's it's true. It's legit, and he's young, and he's on a good team-friendly contract. Probably a better contract than what uh, Tyrese will be on in uh, seven or eight months. Uh, I think. I think Mikhail is on a legitimately well below average contract that he signed, and the CBA is changing all this stuff. And I think it's going to be a very good one to have. Uh, I I would I would not be able to make that trade. I don't think. And I think there's probably someone out there who can divorce themselves from the emotion of Tyrese and make a case for it. I certainly don't think it's absurd, but I, his growth rate is just so stupid.
0: I couldn't, I'd feel like an idiot. I traded him. Yeah. I mean, so I, I think what this comes down to for me is the visions of Tyrese getting stuck and, you know, you know, dribbling away a possession because he just can't make the pass to Joel because they've, They've they've cooked up some elaborate scheme, and he also can't create much space, which by the way, I think his creation for himself has gotten better. He's delivered, he's learning how to leverage change of pace and when to stop and start and being herky jerky. I would still like him to do more of the snaking ball screens and you know, using using that and sort of take a take temperature of the floor before he makes a decision. He kind of goes all at one speed at once, but uh I I still have visions and concerns of like. Are we sure that this guy, at his size, can do this when he when he's facing a, a switch scheme like the like Boston would fa- would pose towards him? And can he beat guys like a Derek White off a dribble? Can he take you know Drew Holiday? And that isn't to say that I would jump overboard and make the trade immediately, but if I'm gearing up for a series against the Boston Celtics, I that and I want like something that i can really feel like i can trust totally i think right now i would make that trade and it's it's not by much but it's like i i i think when, when you get deeper into the into the postseason what's going to stick and stay you know legitimate and i think that's going to be mikhail's size and switchability against multiple positions and so that's why I, I you know i as much as people think that mikhail can't be a number one option and i'm not saying he can or the number two option, but I just think that for consistency' sake, I would go ahead and do the trade. I think I would. Sure. <laughs> and then in a year, no, I know now,
1: I I know how marketing this this uh, show now. It's you know Austin Krell wants Tyrese Maxey traded. I hear you.
0: <laughs> I mean, look, I love Tyrese as, as as a guy. I think he's a hell of a player. I just I, I would like to see a little bit more of creation off the dribble before and and diversity of passing skill before i'm ready to say that you know they're you know that he's like top top of the line you sure. know early in the season that people were like is he a top 10 player in the league mm-hmm. uh and then like two weeks ago the ringer put out something where he was like "Not even them top 50 player." so i was like um, like that kind of screwed my head up a little bit am i missing something here am I, where i'm thinking about this the wrong way but I, that, that seemed a little bit clickbait to me <laughs> um
1: yeah, I think I think I would have said before the season he was probably in the forty to fifty range. Uh, I'm surprised after what has happened that he wasn't moved up. That, that surprises me. Yeah.
0: Who, yeah, who put that list? Was that, is that a KOC list? I think it was a KOC list. It was like two weeks ago. He had him like right, and he had him behind Fred VanVleet, uh, and he had him in front of like just in front of uh, Pascal. I think. Was what it was. Yeah, which to me seemed like bait because he also had Tatum fifth.
1: And- Meanwhile, Zach Levine's 39. So Zach Levine is where is, is 13 spots ahead of Tyrese Maxey.
0: Which is another fascinating. That's it, it, actually yeah. a very good uh, segue to my next question. You know, they, they, they have these three games without Joel, and it's not a lot, you know, over the course of the, of the two-game season, but you project that will grow as the season goes on. Um, and two of the games Tyrese plays in, and they get absolutely whooped. And granted, the second game was a, a, an admirable attempt to come back when New Orleans had already fallen asleep for the night, but they were largely non-competitive in those two games. Um, the way that they played in those two games, does that create any concern for you? And does that, can, if so, does that inspire you to change the way you look at the at, at the, the next move they have to make, whether it's this season or in the offseason, because whether, you know, if Joel goes down with any kind of significant injury, they're fucked if it's a if it's a long-term thing, right? Sure. But it doesn't mean that they have to, that, that doesn't mean that they can't survive one to two games in the playoffs without Joel, if need be. And right now, I don't know if they can do that.
1: Yeah, I think that it's probably, I, if you feel the loss of heart anywhere, it's probably in these hypotheticals. Because it seems like they have just enough of a couple of key skill sets to get by. One of those is creation, uh, and the other is interior defense. And when Joe's out, you miss both of those. And next thing you know, you're starting Marcus Morris at center, and you're trying to get creation out of Patrick Beverly, and things just like... What Tyrese is able to do in 13 minutes per game is more sustainable than what he's asked to do for 48 minutes when Joe's completely out of lineup. So I think there's certainly like, I think you need help, but I think what I would say is most of the help that you would look to acquire anyway, will help solve that problem. Like, I don't think you have to go out and target it per se, but I think any significant trade you're going to do outside of maybe OG is going to be a, be a guy who's going to have some kind of creation in him. Like there aren't many non-creation guys who would be true, like trade deadline. This is the final piece of the puzzle kind of targets. So I think it will naturally help, uh, you know, that might start off the game as a, a you know third option who can then be a second option at time, take some of the ball handling. I think most of those players um, that you would target fill that. So I don't think you go out and you certainly, certainly don't go out and target like a backup center. Like Daryl is never going to spend any real resources on that, um, especially if you already have B-Ball Paul. And I think B-Ball Paul's done fine. So I, I, I don't know that I would read too much into those two games specifically because I think that's what their team need was anyway. Like anyone who would they they would bring in to be a third option would help alleviate that problem.
0: My favorite thing uh that is non-Sixers related this season thus far is that Alex Caruso, who everyone is like fawning over, has like I love Alex Caruso. He's yeah, no, I I've grown to like him more as I've watched the Bulls more this season. I actually watched the Pistons play on Saturday night and I was like, What am I doing with <laughs> my life? Yes. Um it was yeah, I had to do some self-evaluation in the course of that, but it was fun. Um and the thing about Alex Carissa that I think is hilarious is that he has like his usage is not where it was. PJ Tucker is like up there with him and the like towards the towards the bottom of the league, but it was like his usage is not high. Obviously, for for a guard, it's very, very it's ranks in the bottom, and yet he has four or five shots in like the last ten seconds of games this season already where he's given the bulls the lead or tied the game and so it's just like this guy is only shooting when the game's hanging in the balance and he's just making every shot it's great um but like that those are the theoretical types of guys who you know people tend to tend to lean more towards when 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 they talk about what this team can do next there's like one guy who i think is like a very good fit and the rest i'm like contract sucks zach levine um awkward fit with Joel, DeMar DeRozan, and you know Pascal as his own set of shortcomings and same thing with with OG and Obi. There's like the one guy who I think would be really, really good with this group, who I don't think will be available though, is Laurie Markin. <laughs> I think it's such a and I know Kyle brought that up on the pod, but I think that would be such a good fit for this team. It's like a stretch four and stretch four doesn't mean guy that can just shoot threes and is big. That means can he attack a closeout and make a playoff a dribble. And shoot threes as well. And I do wonder whether they go the route of "Can okay, we know another ball handler on this on this team that can sort of help relieve uh the, the issues that come when Joel is on the floor without Tyrese. But also like we need some more shooting because they're not a good three point shooting team yet.
1: Sure. So what was your question there?
0: Well no I, I'm just like is there like a is there like a target that you feel like is mentioned, is not mentioned, who would be like just the perfect this is the guy to go for.
1: I like marketing. I just don't think he's going to end up being available. Um, I don't think that is a trade target that is uh, anything could happen, I suppose. Um, But I think he just makes enough sense uh, with the jazz to keep. No, I don't think there is a perfect trade target out there. Um, Nor do I think we know every trade target who is a possibility right now. Um, I think one thing that we do is probably focus a little too much on the names that we know of right now, four months in advance. but no, I think all the people you brought up are flawed for their own various reasons. Um, Pascal doesn't really shoot well, and we don't know whether or not he gets along with Nick Nurse. That's a, a minor issue. OG obviously doesn't have the creation that you want. Um, Mar, you brought up. Uh, Zach Levine is a atrocious defender, a truly, truly atrocious defender, who's probably going to lose a little value if he doesn't have the ball as much as he currently does. Uh, there's things to pick apart for all of them, um, and part of that goes back to if there was one I was going to gamble on, it might be OG. I just think that Messiah is probably going to ask for a little bit too much. And then you get into that. Um, no, I don't know what, uh, I don't necessarily have a, a perfect option right now. Um, but I think something
0: could happen over the next couple of months that changes that. People talk about Levine a lot and they're like, you know, he just, he's a, he's a good player who's stuck in a bad situation. And to that, I would say like he's been well,
1: stuck in a bad situation for his entire career
0: then. But also look at the way that he carries himself off the ball. Uh, there is, there there have been times that, and granted, I think this, this relationship with, Chicago, with the Bulls is, is probably sunk. So I don't know how much you can grade this season in particular, but the way that he is like, I don't care if you set a screen for me, I'm just going to stand off in the corner and do nothing. Uh, like, you know, th- there are qualities that I would want in an off ball player that shows me that this guy he might like the ball in his hand more, but he is actually like an asset to have off the ball setting a screen for a teammate and making things a little bit more confusing for the defense you know um actually relocating as the ball moves around the court instead of just standing in one spot waiting uh and those are not things that zach levine is is, is quite comfortable with I will say that to put it nicely uh, at this point and so those are like, the things that concern me you know now does that change if he's in a team that is winning and you know he likes the situation better and he feels revitalized maybe if he doesn't though 45 million for that guy is a lot of money. And that's exactly how you end up he, in a, in a Tobias like situation, even if he's a better scorer and a better fit with this team than Tobias is. Um, the thing that, when I look at this team all put together, uh, that does concern me is like their offense in crunch time looks a lot different than their offense does throughout the course of a game otherwise. Um, and the numbers, I don't, I don't love NBA.com because they don't exclude. Garbage time, like cleaning the glass does, but they do have the filters for different quarters. Uh, six to twenty seventh in 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 you know net rating per one uh, in crunch time negative twenty six point three per hundred. Um, partially concerning, obviously, because that's not a good number. But also, I don't quite get where the thinking and strategy goes as the fourth quarter progresses. Does do they lose their steam? Do they? Like get tired and like we're just gonna to regress to a to to a, a a mindset that we know better, you know, like the a default type of play. Um, a good example, I think, of those mistakes is like the Cleveland game, and you know they have the ball, the last possession, and they get a Joel Iso at the elbow against uh, Jarrett Allen, and Nick Nurse played that like that was the right play, like we want, we wanted that, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, nah, I don't know about that. What do you see out of their crunch time offense and what do you make of like why things end up kind of falling apart?
1: Well, first of all, to, to the net rating, I don't really care about those too much right now. Um, in large part, a couple of reasons. First of all, you're talking about 25 minutes. 25 yeah. minutes is not a meaningful sample. Um, So that doesn't concern me too much. And second of all, their, their offensive net rating is actually about league average in, in clutch time. Uh, 109.6 offensive rating their their negative 26 comes from the fact that they haven't stopped anyone on the defensive side of the floor so their offense has been mediocre which you don't want it to be mediocre but it hasn't been a catastrophe and small enough sample size yada 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 i don't worry about that too much the cleveland game specifically um most coaches go for an iso for their best player especially when they're 7-2 and can shoot over anyone in the world uh, so I don't necessarily hold that against him too much. I didn't love that play call for one simple reason. It looked like Joel was gassed at that point. So what would otherwise be maybe, let's say, a 40% look or a 50% look might have been a little less than that. I would have liked to have seen more movement and creativity, but coaches, by and large, go to ISO to their best player. Uh, it's a low, low turnover shot. You're almost guaranteed to get a look at it. Uh, I think most coaches go to something like that and don't run as creative of stuff as you would mostly want. Um, And also, I think there's a little bit of Nick Nurse just trying to figure out who he has, what he has, um, how they would react if, you know, how Joe would react if, let's say, Maxie took the final look, who he can count on to make the right cuts and the right reads. So I think what happens now in the regular season in November might not be what happens uh, in May in a playoff scenario, all that stuff. Certainly, I I think they have had moments where they struggle. You brought up the Cleveland game, the Boston game, where they almost blew that lead. That was another one but I think it's also early enough in the season and, and low enough sample size that I'm not going to worry too much about it. Um, I'd love to see them in more close games uh, and just see, you know, they had that stretch where Joe wasn't playing in the fourth quarter at all. As a weirdo, I would almost like to see that reverse where they're playing in tight games night in and night out just to iron out some of these kinks, but I'm not too worried about it right now.
0: Not a fan of your own heart are you just, you want to see your heart give out in the middle of the season with all that, all that pressure. And... I mean,
1: look, I'm, I've covered so much shit. I'm dead inside anyway.
0: <laughs> well, I, I will give, I'll give the Sixers this. I think the Boston game was their own homage to doc. And you know, the, the Lakers game that he nearly blew by the way, almost a year to the date of that game where they were up by about 18 with three minutes left and uh, had to go to overtime to close it out. Right. <laughs> right. Um, I guess going off of that, uh, before we get to the last question here, a lot has been said. Like Nick is better than Doc, and I think his advantage coming into this situation is Doc was so had such bad reviews from everybody in the fan base that Nick could literally like come and try to sell like snake oil. you ask Pop yeah. that question? <laughs> he could try to sell snake oil to this to the fans. They're Be like, fair.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I also have. I also have the one that he said to me on the on the board. I'm
0: gonna say it slow so we can all pick it up.
1: So I've got us both covered. I've had both you and I on my soundboard here for quite a while. Uh,
0: that people pe- people forget that like you're part of that interaction. That interaction was this the second one. I actually thanked you for that after the game because I thought that was a very good example for me to follow as to how to like handle it back and forth like that because you didn't let you didn't let go. You were like you were you and him had like three or four back and forths within that one question.
1: I mean, look, it was wild that he was playing De- DeAndre Jordan. I don't know. Uh, anyway, I actually had somebody try to throw that back at my face recently. Like, well, DeAndre was a backup center on the, the championship. It's like, buddy, he didn't play after the first round. He played like one game in the first round and was a DNPCD. It was shocking to me that the Sixers were still leaning on him the way that they were, especially since B-Ball Paul uh,
0: looked capable. But I'm just happy B-Ball developed. Well, you know, DeAndre actually had like a twenty and thirty. Had a monster games. game recently. Honest, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which to me, that was like, okay, if you can't win this game against the, the Denver Nuggets, like without all their guys, and they've been killing you the last six years, maybe you don't have the, the guts to to do what you think you can do with these big four, big three. Uh
1: that was pretty jarring to me to see. It was also a negative seventeen in ten minutes against the Kings
0: recently. Oh, that's a, that's a that's a Marcus Morris special right there, uh, um, you know. I, so as you know, as as, we, as as I said, I think Nick kind of had an advantage coming in with how he'd be perceived. What do you see as like the biggest differences between how you know Doc coached the team and how Nick coaches the team? And you can go on for as long as you want here.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, look, I don't know if I necessarily have anything that hasn't been mentioned a lot. The biggest thing that jumped out right away to me was just how much they moved off ball. Uh, That was a night and day difference. Um, I honestly was probably expecting Nick to be a little more aggressive defensively. Um, I thought they would take a few more gambles. But the combination of cutting off ball and then also just how willingly they crash the offensive glass, something that they almost completely abandoned last year so they could try to get back in transition. Uh, And they have brought that back this year. And I forget exactly where they rank, but I think they're pretty high in the league right now in terms of crashing the Um, stylistically, I think those would be the two major takeaways I'd have early. Um, but it's uh, look, I, I think a lot of times I do think we can get reductive at times with coaches. Yes. Uh, when some of the problems stem from the players and the players that the GM has assembled and all of that. And I think that happens at times with doc as well, but I'm very excited about Nick just to see him try shit. And I think that's sort of what's frustrated me a little bit with the Marcus Morris stuff is Nick just doesn't seem to be experimenting quite as much as I maybe would have thought. Um, maybe that's some, maybe we gave him his, I don't want to say too much credit, but overstated the reputation. I don't think we did though. I think he's, he's an experimental coach and maybe it's just the fact that he's taking over a new squad uh, and trying to learn sort of like the base level of what he has. so We can then experiment off of that. But I do think it's been, like I said, a little more aggressive, not a little, a lot more aggressive in terms of cutting off ball uh, and giving Joe passing lanes. A lot more aggressive in terms of um, in terms of, of crashing glass and a little more aggressive defensively, but I expected a lot more aggressive defensively. I'm curious to see what he does from here on out.
0: Uh, to your offensive rebounding. To, to-
1: and now, to, to, to be fair, he hasn't called you an idiot yet in a press conference, and I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but I'm just pointing that out as well.
0: I love how the litmus test is like, okay, do you think that this young beat writer, Austin Krell, is an idiot? If you don't, you are a fucking dead coach.
1: <laughs> I'm just saying, like, him making fun of you wasn't necessarily the same negative in my book that maybe it was in yours.
0: Yeah, I mean, the doc, listen, I mean, I've I've had a, a lot of people in my... I talk about that story a lot, the pop question thing. Uh, It, it was something that I think that he was graded pretty harshly on and I understood, I, I think I understood what he was trying to go for even if it wasn't delivered appropriately. Uh, at the end of the day, though, like, I was just trying to do my job. Like, you blew a 24-point lead at home without Paul George or Kawhi playing and like, how do you, like, there's, coaching has to be a part of that. Everyone's involved in that. But I will say, like, one of the things about Nick that I've enjoyed so far is that he seems humble and that he will admit to his own, like, oh, I missed that. You know, in press, he's done it like three times already, where he's admitted, like, I, I didn't, I, I'm human, I made a mistake as a coach, or I could have done this better, and then you move on. That's all. And Doc, when Doc wasn't willing to even grant that level of uh, humility, um, don't disagree. Yeah. Now it's funny that you said just to look a little an aside here. Um, this was a Sunday a couple weeks ago, and Marcus Morris told us that he was he didn't say he was unhappy but he basically implied like i didn't think this my role was going to be this you know like the right. five minute guy five minute per game guy off the bench and then ever since then he has been getting those back five minutes so to your point about marcus morris playing more i do wonder if there's an element of you know nick trying to keep his veteran role player engaged by giving him these spots earlier in the season and then as things get go on and the data starts to show that like hey you can't play this guy at five then that's when Nick will move to something different and try like a a more inventive look.
1: No, and look, here's where I think maybe I will give Nick more credit than I would have given Doc. I think Nick is just trying to get through the season right now. Uh, And maybe, you know, Marcus is the equivalent of a 4A kind of baseball player where you just kind of use him to eat some innings uh, and, and, and move on from there. Uh, and quite frankly, I think Marcus is probably the most likely to be traded because he's got that big $17 million contract and he's not as integral of a piece of your team as Covington and Batumar. So I don't even think Nick would have a, an option of using him in the playoffs. But even if he was, I I don't think he, he would. That being said, like, stop, please stop playing him at center. It's just not going to work. He offers no room protection. It's really, really bad. Um, please stop doing that. And I think I understand why he tried it you know, just to get some floor spacing on there. But your, your defense is going to hemorrhage points every time he's out there. Please don't do that. Uh, I think you can hide him a little better at the four. Not good. Not well. He's still going to be picked on as often as they can, but you're not relying on him as much. And I would, he would frustrate me a little less if he was playing strictly. That's
0: fair. Derek, last question for you here. Um, Various absences of role players aside. The team starts at eight and one. They are four and six. Technically, I would remove the James Joel miss because if you don't have Joel anyway, your doesn't really matter what your record is. You're screwed. So we'll say they're four and three since that eight and one start. Very small sample size, as you know. Aside, which do you think is more what this team is? Is it something closer to that eight and one, or until they make that next move that everyone talks about? are they closer to that four and three team?
1: Well, I certainly don't think they're close to a, a four and three team. Um, you know, I think this is, you know, coming into the season, I think I picked them right at 50 wins. And part of that was, they ended up, um, making this trade for reinforcements earlier than I thought. Like I thought Harden would be on the team until December, January, February, probably giving half heart of that best effort. And you wouldn't have the depth that you acquired in this trade. So I think that's helped. And also Tyrese Maxey has just made a massive jump. Uh, in his his play so if i was picking them at 50 wins to start the season you'd bump that up 53 54 55 whatever somewhere in that range Uh, and that is much better than a four and three team uh you know i think if you look at it overall right now they have the fourth best net rating in the league at plus 6.8 so i think their overall net rating indicates they're probably better than their their record um certainly better than a four and three team are they an eight and one team no like they were the best team in the league for a while there i don't necessarily think they're there uh, I would stop short of calling them a true contender right now. All that could change if Tyrese continues to show that this is who he is. Um but I think they're a good team. A, a good 52 to 55 capable win team uh who is might be a piece or two away from a title but is a a very viable next tier kind of team. Um No, I think they're a, a, I think really my biggest concern would be defensively they just haven't had the kind of bite that maybe I expected them to. Um, and, you know, I think Embiid will certainly wrap it up in the playoffs when they get there. You know, I think having, oddly enough, Ubre back will help them. Uh, I think as they learn each other a little better, it will help. As they stop playing Marcus Morris, I think that will help. Uh, no, I think this is closer to eight and one. If you had to have to pick those two extremes, I think they're closer to an eight and one team than they are a four and three team.
0: But uh yeah, I think they're a very good basketball team. It's funny because... Like their point differential right now is the one thing that I would point to and say like that would be what supports the mostly the the eight and one start like they 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 have a very good point differential at the moment. Um I still don't love their shot quality. Uh, I think they take a little bit too many uh shots that are not threes, and I just they're bit, always going to do that though. Yeah, because Joel. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um but i I see like you know you 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 have a lot of role players in this group that I would like to see that three point volume come up a little bit because i I just don't think that they take enough right now, sure to also make enough because they're just not like I, they're not the m- most skilled bunch of shooters. there's no Josh Richardson here. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> i really tried to go back and find that tweet but you deleted it like the coward that you are <laughs>
0: i to delete it because i don't want to retweet it <laughs> derek anything to plug before i let you go for the night <laughs> they
1: are their location expected field goal percentage is
0: 55.1 percent
1: uh which i think is higher than like their location expected is 55.1 and their actual effective is less than that so they're actually undershooting their their location that's per cleaning the glass might not be a perfect representation but a, a big part of that is because they have they're getting a lot at the rim uh, and i think that has certainly helped offset like you mentioned they take a lot of long mid-range shot not a lot a, a good chunk of long mid-range shots and they don't really generate all that many shots in the corner um so i think getting at the rim uh, offensive rebounds getting on transition more than it in the past is, is probably helping that a little bit um, Which by the way
0: the offensive rebounding rate is Fifth in the league at 30.4%. It's wild. What was it last year? Like 28th? Whatever it was, I don't know the exact percentage, but the ranking was like bottom three. It was like yeah. they, were, they did not make any kind of effort to get on the offensive glass because they couldn't stop anything in transition. So they had to sacrifice that to make up for their yep. shitty transition defense. But that's like the big thing that I think holds up their offense at the moment is even when like the threes, like even when they're not taking a lot of threes, they are getting second chances really often. And that is why they are able to manufacture points. Uh, Derek, anything you want to plug before I let you go? No, I fucking talk about the Sixers all day. I don't,
1: I mean, go check out PHLI, please. Uh, obviously the new venture that myself, Kyle, Devon just joined us today. Uh, we talk about these Sixers five days a week, if you can believe it. Um, and obviously we're still writing like Kyle kind of does day to day. I try to do the column type stuff. Uh, we've got Rich Hoffman. We've got a, a great group. So, all phly.com
0: and you guys can catch me in the chat trying to start shit every show
1: (laughs) he is occasionally in the chat trying to start shit and we just end up making fun of him for his food takes which i think is fair game (laughs) it's still it still blows of all your food takes one that blows my mind is that you've never had chicken wings and at first i'm like oh like maybe he's vegetarian or vegan i respect that and you're like no i've just never had chicken wings i just don't get how you you're a human i don't get i don't
0: that's I true. would argue that I'm not a human. I'm just kind of an the man who exists. Just human.
1: go try a chicken wing. Like, again, if you had like a moral objection to eating chickens, I all for that. I, I give you credit for that. Even if I can't make that sacrifice myself, but if not, sh- give it a shot, man. I don't get it. Like truth of all your food takes. That's the one. I just don't like, like it's one thing to have a bad food. Take like butter noodles is awesome. I'm like, all right, fine. Whatever. I just, I conceptually, I just don't get the
0: chicken. I think food. I would actually lose listeners from this podcast. <laughs>
1: this guy is fucking weird. <laughs> You are
0: weird, but I I appreciate that. I appreciate that. All right, Dave. You have a good night. I'm good. Uh, stepping back and stroking hey. to Bogdanovich, thinking about a three. There it is. Yes! Get it, get it. No double team help, be. takes it right to the rack.